Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, full episode coming up, but right as we were actually stepping off the set, the Ben Roethlisberger news hit that he will miss the remainder of the season due to elbow surgery. Luckily for us, we hit on Jalen Samuels, James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, Mason Rudolph throughout this episode. So rather than just thinking about that for the next week or the next two weeks, extend that advice for the remainder of the season. Juju gets knocked down, James Conner, so on and so forth. And John Daigle with his waiver wire column gets a point up here with James Washington. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast here in Studio 7. I'm Josh Norris here with Ian Harditz and John Daigle. Week two wrapped up yes. for the most part. Um, we're getting our feet under us after the week one fury that we saw, the tidal wave of games, the conclusions that we drew. Now, a little bit of the truth pops up. How you feeling, boys? Got two-week sample size now to work with. No more people complaining about preseason stats. No more one-game stats. You know, I'm ready to go. Now is where we get to actually be analysts. We don't have to talk about the preseason <laughs> the whole time. It's wonderful. Um, before we get to football, I do want to get, like, a personal level here. You guys have moved up here in the last month. How's everything? How's the transition been? Are you loving your time in the Northeast? Has anything stood out as a difference yet? Seafood is much better here than Columbus, Ohio. You can trust the seafood <laughs> I'll say here. that, yeah. I mean, I, and uh, this is probably the wrong way to interpret it, but coming from North Carolina myself, I was always hesitant to go and purchase seafood out in grocery stores just because, but I guess being the proximity to water, we can see water sure, every yeah. single day just allows me to be more Logically, confident in the purchase that I'm making yeah. from the ice. Well, what you can't see are pots that you cook curry in. So if someone has an Indian place in Stanford, they can direct me. Please let me know. Business card. I would love one. Coromandel, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Lasuni Gobi, which is like fried. They're gonna love it. You're giving shout outs to the podcast too. Okay, great. Just hit me up. That's what. I, that's all I want is just Indian food. All right, boys. Any of those words meant. <laughs> <laughs> Today, uh, again, if you want to actually go back to yesterday's podcast, it is the roundup, the whip around of every single game and every single fantasy relevant player. Called you guys last night, called the other blurbers as well. Today though, we're going to go with the notable narratives that we believe in. And later on, second half of the pod is all John Daigle because he writes the waiver column. It's up on Rotoworld on Monday evenings, Tuesday mornings. Um, And we'll skim the surface, but really dive in to the waivers in his column. But again, first let's start with the news and transition into the notable narratives. The biggest news well, one of the two is Drew Brees out six weeks with a torn ligament in his throwing thumb. 
awful injury during the game that ruined a fantastic game. Um, he tried to pick up a football on the sideline, dropped it immediately. Now we know he's out six weeks due to surgery. Um, Ian, what does this do not only for obviously Drew Brees, the Saints, but the fallout with Alvin Kamara and so on and so forth? I think it really hurts. And I mean, one of the things coming in this year that we're talking about with the Saints offense is, yes, Michael Thomas is a baller. Yes, Alvin Kamara is a baller. But they're not just overflowing with these other, you know, super capable pass game weapons. I mean, we've seen Jared Cook bring a nice vertical uh, presence to the tight end position. You know, Traquan Smith has done some good things here or there. But, I mean, if Bridgewater is going to keep kind of playing like a below average quarterback, I'm not going to assume the Saints offense is just going to be a top 10 scoring unit still. I would have to imagine Sean Payton didn't put pen to paper on that five-year extension mm. unless he intended on running with Teddy Bridgewater for that long. Because like, Drew Brees likely won't play that long anyhow. So although Teddy Bridgewater has not been good thus far in his career with the Saints, I, I would imagine like he's the guy they're leaning on. And he targeted Michael Thomas 11 times yesterday, which was a 36% target share. But even so, there were low ADOT targets. So I, I think it sinks Thomas to wide borderline wide receiver one levels, yeah. wide receiver two high floor, and Kamara, I, I'm definitely worried. Because now they can hone in, almost worried so much so, turning him into a running back two or flex option. And I don't think the Saints are done at all. Um, one, it's their schedule, and we'll get to that in a moment. But two, it's also the division that they're in. Right? Panthers have not played well. The Bucks <laughs> equally has poor. Atlanta has been up and down completely through two games. Yeah. And the Saints still have some of the best pieces on their roster than the rest of the division. The offensive line is probably still the best offensive line in the division. Michael Thomas, other than Julio Jones, the best wide receiver. Alvin Kamara with Christian McCaffrey, the best running back. Um, and maybe more than any other team, the Saints have talked up their backup quarterbacks to everyone in the league. Whenever a game, Troy Aikman, whoever else goes in there and has a meeting with Sean Payton, you can tell he has spent seven minutes talking about Taysom Hill. <laughs> you can tell that they love Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, they have paid him like one of the highest backups in the NFL. Miami and, wanted to be a starter, and they obviously swept him out and, and said no. You mentioned that he hasn't played well. That was a week 17 last year. That was a half mm -hmm. this past week. We haven't seen him necessarily with a full focus game plan around him. Mm -hmm. And I actually think like Sean Payton – might get a little bit excited to open the door, open the package, open the book on what he might do with Taysom Hill because there have been little sprinkles. We've been fresh over the sprinkles, but it might be a little bit more now. I like your big picture thinking. That actually got me excited to see Teddy see? Bridgewater now because I was not excited. And I don't buy into so much the half that he played because what same as Mason Rudolph, when backup quarterbacks come in, they have had no time to game plan. They are playing with the starters game plan. And so it just throws everything out the door. Um, with a concerted playbook around him for an entire week, I am interested to see now. You talked me into it. Here's my one question. We've already seen... Peyton willingly take Drew Brees, future first ballot Hall of Famer, off the field in the red zone for Taysom Hill. Yesterday when Traquan Smith got banged up a little bit, we saw Taysom more or less come in as a wide receiver. Yeah. Could we see Taysom, you know, between getting extra quarterback snaps and all this, somehow start approaching like a 50% snap rate? Interesting. I, I think now they shift him over to more snaps at true quarterback than these package plays at other positions. Let's also take a look at the schedule that the Saints are going to face as it goes along. At the Seahawks, next up. Then we get the Cowboys at home, Tampa at home, Jags away, Bears away, Cardinals at home, Falcons at home after a bye week. I mean, I look at a few of those teams. Tampa, Jags, Cardinals. Those are three winnable games. Maybe if they get another one in there, sneak one maybe against the Falcons. Um, sneak one against the Bears away. Win four of those next seven games, 
again, this is a team that can stay in contention for the playoffs because of the talent they've put around this. And Sean Payton actually has to show his hand as one of the best play callers in the NFL. For better or worse, at the midway point, what that schedule shows is that they have one division game. So you just have to be average. Yeah. And then you play all your division games at the back half of the season when it matters, when you perhaps have Drew Brees back. So if they just hang around, head above water, they should be fine. It helps that just the rest, again, the division is just not playing inspiring football uh, at all. Okay, that's the first narrative we're going with. Daigle, why don't you hit us with the next one? I think it is exciting that although Patrick Mahomes is, we know, in a league of his own, that Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson are both playing up to his level. Dak Prescott leads in completion percentage and QBR so far. Lamar Jackson leads both in rushing yards. It has looked phenomenal phenomenal in this offense. And then, obviously, Mahomes, no one can stop him. Right. Uh, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, just looks incredible. And so just the fact that two players are competing with him on MP MVP levels through two weeks is very exciting for the league. He might be playing better football at the quarterback position than we've ever seen before. Because even last week, uh, in week two, I should say, he threw this pass across his body that was then called back. And it was one of the best throws you've seen. Yeah. And then rather than taking this conservative approach at like third and 20, boom, they fired down the field for like a 47-yard touchdown. He's a cheat code right now. We all expect him to regress, Ian. He's not doing that at all. In fact, he's probably taking his game to the next level and looking even more composed when he buys himself time in the pocket. No play is ever dead with him. It's unbelievable. I mean, like you said, it was... Miko Hardman got loose for two touchdowns. One got called back. But they came on third and 20 and third and 14. I mean, the Raiders aren't idiots. They should know big plays are like, – he's going to look downfield on these plays, and there's just nothing they can do about it because Mahomes can make it literally any throw on the field. Your point was about Mahomes, but to me it was even more about Lamar and Dak because, again, week two was a little bit early to talk about MVP watch. Right. If people get a little bit bored because storylines take a major part in MVP awards – People get a little bit bored with Patrick Mahomes where the defense lets up a little bit. You maybe have even more complete teams in Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, in Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. And both, again, just two games, small sample size, but both are looking like they took a giant leap forward, not mm -hmm. just a step. And remember, like in a year that Patrick Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns and no one else threw 40, not one quarterback, Drew Brees still got an MVP vote. Like, people get bored as the season goes along, especially when you're that consistent and that good with no hope of stopping you. Uh, we can attribute Dak's success, although he's been amazing in his own right, we can attribute to the new play calling in Kellen Moore. But the fact is that offense looks incredible right now as well. And I know it came against Washington in week two, but if you watched, and Ian watched it last night, it's just... It's a very cliche thing to say, but the game has legitimately slowed down for him right now. He's hitting receivers before their breaks. Cornerbacks don't even have a chance to react right now. And it's just going to get even more enhanced against Miami in Week 3 because they're yeah. not stopping anybody. The one thing that kind of makes me think Lamar might be the leader in the clubhouse there right now is the fact that the Cowboys, you know, leagues if not the highest paid offensive line, one of them. I mean, they are dominating right now since they've gotten Travis Frederick back, Amari Cooper, plenty of weapons there, highest paid running back in the league. Kansas City. I mean, Stanley Watkins is supposed to be their number two receiver, and he's still being paid like a top five or ten wide receiver. You know, Andy Reid, a bunch of things helping him out. Lamar Jackson is still operating on a team that is paying Joe Flacco a top five salary. I mean, he's not getting the benefit of the doubt that a lot of these rookie quarterbacks get in terms of just their team can spend so much more elsewhere to help them, and Lamar's just kind of propping up himself. I mean, Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown, awesome players, still a rookie wide receiver and second year tight end. I mean, yeah. no one should be progressing this fast and it's because of Lamar Jackson. They are not tried and true, but in 
a decade, over a decade, that we've talked about Roethlisberger, Breeze, so on and so on. It's just fun to see the millennials in NFL of these young athletes coming out and now playing up to par, even though we all know Brady still wins the Super Bowl. But <laughs> so, many of his, so many of his carries last year were design runs. Now he's doing it and knowing when to leave the pocket. Yeah. And Ian, we were watching the game together yesterday. It's just amazing how much ground he eats up in those first two strides. Because you have these waiting linebackers. They know he can run the football. But those first two or three steps pick up five, six, seven yards, and boom, he's already at the corner. And he's like the anti-Marcus Mariota in terms of being totally. able to not take big hits. He's not <laughs> passive. He's not, you know, just someone that's going to take what the defense gives him. He's aggressive in all facets. I will say this about the Ravens. They started the season off against the Dolphins. Then the Cardinals defense, which you know is just completely destroyed because right. of suspensions and injuries. Next up, Chiefs. Yeah. Then Browns. Then Steelers. Then Bengals. Then Ravens. Oh, excuse me. Then Seahawks. Then Patriots. The schedule gets a lot harder for the Ravens. So these next three, four, five weeks are going to tell us a lot about Lamar Jackson. And I'm not someone that just says, oh, he did it against these two teams, so he can't do it against anyone else, or they're just the easiest. I think what he's doing week to week because of the tight coverages that he's still fitting the ball into, this is translatable week to week. But I don't think that's a tougher schedule. Like, really? The whole reason you drafted Lamar Jackson anyways is because of voluminous shootouts. Yeah. Like all of those games per, have potential to be shootouts, which then allows him to do what he does both on the ground and through the air. Yeah. So I, I'm not the, too the, ne the next four weeks, I think you're right. Like, and that Patriots game in week nine, uh, obviously they have a bye in week eight. So that's two weeks to prep for Belichick as well. That's a good point. And uh, we were recording this before Monday Night Football, so we haven't seen what the Browns do in week two, if they look any better. Um, Chiefs, we know about their defense. Steelers might be without Ben Roethlisberger, which is another point that we don't know where that situation stands at this moment. We'll get to James Conner and Jalen Samuels a little bit later on. But the Bengals have come back to earth. Seahawks, Patriots. Yeah, interesting one. All right. And there will be more than enough time to talk about it as the week goes on, but really quickly, how much fun is Ravens Chiefs going to be? It gets Ooh, me so it gets me fun. really. I was like tired dreading week 2 last night. Like, oh, now we have to research and do work. And then I saw uh, Lamar Jackson and Arrowhead pop up. It's like, "Oh, okay. It's I, odd." I know a lot of you listen to this podcast in audio form, but if you just want to see Ian Harditz do a little bit of a shimmy, a little bit of a shake. <laughs> I think I grinded a little bit as well. I mean, I don't know what you call that, Ian, but that was uh, that was something. Please, it's exciting. Please get that game in the prime time, <laughs> yes. and you'll see a full-fledged dance. Hey, everyone. Once again, want to thank NFL Game Pass for sponsoring this episode. NFL Game Pass allows you to go back and watch every single game on replay. Not just the TV copy, not just the coach's copy but in the condensed format, less than 40 minutes for every single performance. I would advise you to go back and look at what Kellen Moore is doing with this Dallas Cowboys offense, what he's doing with Devin Smith making a return to the field, hitting him on deep post vertical routes, adding another element to the Cowboys. I would also look at Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson. Again, NFL Game Pass, the best way to do that is to go to nfl.com slash rotoworldfantasy for a seven-day free trial. Again, nfl.com slash rotoworldfantasy for a seven-day free trial. So we mentioned the Miami Dolphins as one of the opponents at the Baltimore Ravens. Another narrative that I want to push is this. We know this league is extremely reactionary. And we know that through two games, the Miami Dolphins may be the worst team that I've seen the last 10, the last 20 years. I would not be surprised if the path that the Dolphins are going down right now changes the rules and roster construction across the NFL moving forward. I'm not saying it can happen this year for the Dolphins. I'm not saying it's definitely going to be a lottery system for the draft. But this is quite different to me than 
how the Browns built theirs, how other teams have built their well, roster. The Astros are the comparison. Right. Well, but that's a different sport. Correct. You're that right. is You're baseball. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then we have seen in basketball as well. But we have also seen the league be extremely reactionary in their changes from year to year. This past season, it has been the pass interference challenge penalty. Right. We've also seen it with quarterback injuries, and so you can't land with your full body weight on them in the pocket. Um, there have been 10, 12, 15, 100 more than that. Again, I would not be surprised because I don't think the Dolphins are done trading some of their players. Mika Fitzpatrick, Kenyon Drake possibly on the move as well. And if that's the case, this is going to be a very, very long 16-game season, and it's just the beginning. And through two weeks, it's been absolutely horrific for the Dolphins. Yeah, the fact they're like not even trying to hide from that they're tanking is, I think, the problem here. We've seen other teams, I mean, when Adam, Adam Gase was there, I know they weren't actively tanking, but when he would get rid of their good players, you know, it was more, I want my guys here. You know, I want guys that are buying into my system. Now, like, they're just openly trading their good players to try to get more draft picks. So it's a mess, and it's not going to get any prettier this week against Dallas. I don't think it's fair if it would change just because a team finally exploited the system and wasn't scared to, but... It will change, as you said, once it starts affecting owners' pockets because that's the only time anything changes, and I think it's already been happening. Yeah. It's also been affecting betting markets, which is huge. Like, the Cowboys opened 20-and-a-half-point favorites, and no one's going to take the Dolphins. Like, right. you can't. I don't know if you've watched it, and this is also another cliche thing to say, but literally there is no effort with the Dolphins right now. And there shouldn't be because they know all of them are on the chopping block if, if not guaranteed to just go away next successful regime. Um, it's pitiful right now. And let me explain. Like, I don't knock the plan. I appreciate plans yes. that think out of the box. But let's just, look, let's just look at how bad the Dolphins truly have been because they are on pace to, be, <laughs> to give up the most points in NFL history, the most first downs in NFL history, the most touchdowns in NFL history, gain the fewest yards and fewest rushing first downs in NFL history. I mean, this is all via 538. There's more, a lot of the most sacks. There are the most interceptions. Again, you can at least point to other teams that have been awful in the NFL and say, hey, they have Miles Garrett. They have like bright spots across the team. I cannot point to a building block player on the Dolphins that we know that they will keep moving forward. You don't think they'll keep Xavier Howard? I guess so. Maybe. Now, so here's the thing, though, is that I think they will keep Sure. Them. You is picked one. Excuse me. Can you but, pick another? But that, <laughs> but that graphic, they're not getting any better than that. That's no. the issue. No one's in the wings coming back. Yeah. This is their team, and, and it's not getting better. And I know that this is a team that has this plan, right? And so Brian Flores knows what the plan is going to the season. But if we see an 0-16 again on this pace that we just showed, I don't know how he survives that, even with Chris Greer. Because, again, you look at Stephen Ross, like not the most patient owner no. of all time. And you can have this saying, you can have this mindset going into a year, but that drastically of an awful team push comes to shove. changes things. Yeah. Completely changes things. Um, Ian, what's up? Okay. So one of my big takeaways from yesterday was more fancy related than anything, uh, not really league-wide trend, but Josh Jacobs. I mean, big question we talked about on the Sunday show was, this would be a good first test to see just how true of a three-down back he is in this Raiders offense, and I think the answer is he's not. I mean, he's not going to be this featured back no matter what happens out there, and he has one target through two games at this point. It was a beautiful target. He caught it, you know, like a little bit down the seam, broke yep. some tackles, yep. showed what he can do in the open space. Clearly, he's a talented player, but we're just not seeing the usage that we wanted to see in a game that the Raiders were trailing. Yesterday, Jacobs had 26 snaps, 12 carries, zero targets. Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington combined for 16 snaps and five targets. I mean, 
I got to check the route, routes run and all that. You know, I don't think Jacobs can end up with zero targets more weeks than not, but clearly this is not a, the one-man show that we thought we were going to get. And I just want to be clear that I know some people will say, oh, well, like they were out of it, that like, the game script didn't suggest that Jacobs should play. That's what we're talking about yes, here. Yes, exactly. Is that because we assume that this will be game script for Raiders moving forward, and Jacobs needs to stay on the field to have proper RB2 value, high-end RB1 ceiling, if he's going to uh, stay on the field and be successful. And like you said, he wasn't on the field when it mattered. And so I don't think, I didn't think after week one, but I definitely don't think now that he's going to be that third down back that Raiders drafted him to be. This is why I enjoy this podcast, because we go from uh, a conversation of maybe the league Yelling changing about rules the rebuild. Yeah. about one of the worst teams to then just focusing solely on this one player that's a rookie <laughs> who's actually playing well. Like when yes. you hashtag watch the tape, he looks quite good. He's breaking tackles Yards after contact, so yeah. much better than what we saw with Doug Martin last year. Yeah. Um, but this kind of does go against what John Gruden has done in his 10 years or whatever it was with the Tampa Bay Bucks because there his lead running back averaged 18 touches. Um, I would also say probably a lot of those Bucks teams were better than this Raiders team. The Raiders coming up at the Vikings, at the Colts, against the Bears, at the Packers, at the Texans. Pretty difficult for a team that lacks some talent, has maybe even already exceeded expectations a little bit with the Raiders, especially in week one, scoring 24 points against a Vic Fangio Broncos defense. Um, we need positive game script here with Josh Jacobs. I'm not sure if we're going to get it. We said on Sunday morning that we were down on the Raiders' offense, but was not. We're not worried about Week Two, and it turns out that we should have been worried about Week Two. If what was actually a beautiful spot for them to succeed offensively, and so if they can't be successful and minus a Week One home opener, yeah. then bad things are ahead. And look, it's only Week Two. Jacobs, after those first two drives of the game, was pretty much the only bright spot in the Raiders' offense. It would make sense if they try to get him more involved in future weeks but it just reminds me of kind of what like Marlon Mack was going through last season where yeah more weeks than not we should see him in the 15-20 touch range but if they get behind look out. Mark Ingram as well like Mark Ingram isn't getting touches from Lamar Jackson even though that offense continues to explode he's just only getting carries which reduces his value. Before we get into the waivers I do want to point you to other podcasts in the NBC Sports Network Chris Sims Unbuttoned, PFTPM, the Peter King podcast as well. I mean, they are three podcasts a week for Chris Sims. I know Mike Florio seems like he has a show every single hour on this network. Go check out all three of those. Did as Chris well. Sims friends watch our show Sunday morning? Maybe. Maybe. Then I don't not, know if they know how Sims, to do Sims, we're not Twitch. promoting you until your friends watch us. <laughs> um, next up, Waiver Wire with John Daigle. Again, the full column is up on Roto World uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. It has a deep dive pretty much at every single position, so it depends on what you need. Yeah is we started this conversation, this podcast today, about Drew Brees and the quarterback injury. Now it's on to the Pittsburgh Steelers who have their own quarterback injury. As of this recording, midday on Monday, we don't know how significant it is. Um, we do know that Mason Rudolph came in, but the other part of that injury that's kind of being overlooked right now is James Conner, I believe, is having an MRI in his knee, yes. so possibly enter his backup, Jalen Samuels. We've seen, historically, the Steelers use one back. It's what, why we said we were not worried about Connor's usage in week one, game script just got completely out of hand in a 30-point loss. They will continue to use one back for around 80% of snaps. Once Connor left in week two, Samuels came in on 23 of 24 offensive snaps for the Steelers, I believe it was, handling every touch except one, which went to Benny Snell. 
he is legitimately a weak winner when Connor's out. And now mm -hmm. I know last week there was a lot. There were a lot of questions about Samuels. Like, should I keep him because like his usage is not going to continue like this? And it was it always varied because there's so many different types of leagues. It's, if you can, ha you should hold on to him because he's going to be a league winner if Connor's out. And now he's out. So now he is the absolute number one priority overall, whether you have Connor or not. The one thing that kind of surprised me was seeing that Benny Snell was on the field for a decent handful of snaps. But He's awful. Exactly. And it's the thing with Connor and Samuels that was a little worrisome was that Samuels was, you know, or Connor, excuse me, Connor was at least a capable receiving back. Maybe he can't do the same things as Samuels, but Connor can play three downs. We saw him do that last year. Benny Snell cannot play on three no, downs. So no, no. even in a worst-case scenario where Snell gets a little more early down work than we'd like, Samuels is getting all those fantasy-friendly targets, and he's for sure the guy down. But it's obviously not just the same situation that Jalen Samuels might be entering. He might be entering a team that has Mason Rudolph at the quarterback position. So friend of the show, Rich Rebar, mentioned that this morning – and he talked about how Mason Rudolph was used on a 30-plus percent play-action rate once he came into the field on week two. And Ben Rosberger, historically, had never used play-action over 15% of the time. Interesting. So it's almost the Teddy Bridgewater, Sean Payton thing to where maybe the Steelers and Tomlin get excited and get a little creative. I know that I'm jumping here, Control Room, but since we're on this topic of the Steelers, can we jump to James Washington? Yeah, let's do it, yeah. Because Mason Rudolph actually came in and moved the ball a lot better than Ben Roethlisberger did. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was doing nothing with Juju Smith-Schuster. Meanwhile, uh, Mason Rudolph came in, started hitting downfield throws to Juju, started hitting some uh, passes to Vance McDonald, started hitting some passes to his ex-teammate, James Washington, who you want to discuss. Uh, first of all, Chris and Josh, ready with the graphics in the, Boom. Look in at the these guys. room. Look at those professionals right there. Goats. And uh, James Goats. Washington, Dante Moncrief, 10 targets, four drops in week one. Comes back, drops his first pass, benched. Well, it wasn't just a drop. It was straight drop. through the hands yes. on a, a long third down throw that Mason Rudolph made perfectly, hits his helmet, pops into the air, and intercepted. I mean, that's blatant. like four or five drops in two games for Dante Moncrief. And after that, he only, I believe, he played like 16 snaps. Mm -hmm. James Washington, 33 of 56. Yeah. Deontay Johnson, 26 of 56. And Juju, 46 of 56. All of James Washington's production in the preseason as a Steelers number four wideout came from Mason Rudolph. That's why we are always concerned. But now, look who's under center. Yeah. By coincidence, Mason Rudolph. And so, this is, in terms of wide receivers to pick up, James Washington still will fall number three behind the other two guys we're going to talk about who had very good days yesterday. But James Washington should still be a priority. And as a starting receiver, he's WR3 flex with Mason Rudolph under center. Gets some of the most fantasy-friendly targets in the entire league, too. I mean, he is, thir he is third right now behind only Will Fuller and... Uh, someone else, but air yards per target. I mean, yeah. he is getting downfield chances every chance he can get. And, you know, going into the season, I think we all wanted Moncrief on one side, Washington on the other, Juju in the slot. We're not getting that because they're just dead set on having Ryan Switzer out there. But, hey, I mean, if Washington's going to replace Moncrief now, which he clearly is, sign me up. It's not like this. I mean, it does get a little bit easier for the Steelers, but they're 0-2, guys. I mean, they're 0-2. They've only scored 29 points in two weeks at the 49ers, who are 2-0. And it's an ugly 0-2. They haven't yeah. looked good at all. Then they have the Bengals, then the Ravens, Chargers, Dolphins. So there are some moments in there. We, again, we don't know how long, if at all, Ben Roethlisberger is out. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just the Steelers' offense hasn't looked like the Steelers' offense no. that we've seen for so many years. And you can point to the one big change. And it's not Antonio Brown on the field. What hurts the most still, though, is that 
while James Washington was so low on the totem pole already fantasy-wise, he raises up, uh, Juju comes down. Juju's a border, he's a borderline WR2, honestly. Yeah. And that, that's And it was being taken at the, the one yeah, turn absolutely. in uh, You also want to hit on a few other running backs, speaking of the 49ers. Raheem Mostert. Mostert. We'll go with Mostert. Let's go Mostert, with Mostert. Mostert. Okay. Uh, the 49ers really split up their backfield considerably <laughs> after Tevin Coleman went out. It is good for the team that was, you know, had Tevin Coleman on the roster. And so now they have very good, capable backups. I'm trying to find the rushing stats here. But Matt Breida got his, Raheem Mostert got his, and then Jeff Wilson got two vulture touchdown runs as well. Mostert was either third or fourth on the waiver wire column last week. So it, I gave uh, a preface to everyone. It's like, hey, we're waiting on Jeff Wilson, but Mostert is still valuable in this offense. Turns out Jeff Wilson get called up and both can still be valuable. So again, because only 16% of Yahoo League players picked up Mostert, we're just going to run right back to him in the column and you have to pick him up. Except now, since you weren't looking ahead and reading Daigle's waiver wire column, you have to pay actual fab for him instead of getting him for free. I think long and hard about those decisions, by the way. They tell. don't just come overnight. You don't leave the office. No, I really don't leave the office. The one thing to mention with Jeff Wilson, too, is a friend of the show, Adam Levitin, made a good point. But this game got out of hand pretty quickly. Yep. And through two and a half quarters, um, Matt Breida had 13 touches. Mostert had 11. Wilson only had two. So Wilson was really impacted by garbage time. And the one really good thing I saw from Mostert that I didn't know he had in him was this receiving ability. I mean, last oh, yeah. week, I thought uh, Breida was in such a good spot because I thought he was just on another level in terms of receiving compared to these other backs, you know, with Coleman being out. It seemed like it was really going to be him. Mostert had four targets. Breida only had one. This is why preseason matters. Like, when players like this, athletes, get involved, you can tell when they separate themselves. And every chance Mostert has received in the preseason, he has looked an otherworldly different compared to every other back. Just quickly looking back at those performances on Sunday against the Bengals. Again, 41-17 win, a blowout. Matt Breda, 12 carries, 121 yards, including this ridiculous joystick Dante Hall-like run from behind the line of scrimmage was amazing. Mostert, 13 carries. 83 to go along with three receptions, 68 yards, and a touchdown. Then Jeff Wilson, you mentioned through two and a half quarters, just two touches, I believe, but finished with 10 carries, 34 yards, and two touchdowns. If we could package them, like, it's not Ultron. What is the, the not Transformers either, but when they all come together, I guess Power Rangers. When it, Voltron, thank you, Chris, in the control room. Voltron. You pack them like um, Power Rangers. If, 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 if we could package them together, have them form into one, Fuse, some might say. You might have a fantastic singular back on the 49ers, but right now we have to pick our pieces. And again, positive game script here was fantastic. And Breida still wins in this situation. Do not get away from him at all. Yeah. We saw another real debut uh, on Sunday. Miko Hardman Ooh. going off. Yes. Playing almost every single snap, I believe. Yep. He did that in week one, but saw no production. But Daigle, that changed on Sunday. Yes, and the box score doesn't reflect, as Ian mentioned earlier, he had a big bomb negated due to offensive holding. Um, it should have been over 102 touchdowns like Demarcus Robinson, but instead it was just the 60 yards and a touchdown, which is just fine because hopefully it kept him low enough on the waiver priorities where everyone will factor Demarcus Robinson over him. But here's the thing. Because Tyreek Hill's absent, like Demarcus Robinson, I believe it was 48 routes. Sammy Watkins, 50 routes. McCole Hardman, around 42 routes. Yep. Either way, those are their three starting receivers, and it's set in stone. Byron Pringle was next with four routes. So let me ask you this, though. Like, it seems like you're talking up Mecole, and you're not, you're like talking down Demarcus Robinson. There. Why? Because 
it's the same as Sammy Watkins. It's what we said last week. Do not expect 180 and two touchdowns. Do not expect 100 yards and a touchdown every week yeah. because all of them can do something. And so it's going to be volatile. But you almost have to prioritize. No, not almost. You do have to prioritize them on the waiver wire because they all have a 100 touchdown, uh, 100 yard, two touchdown ceiling yeah. every single week. They are all Sammy Watkins. Like they are not known as Sammy Watkins, but they are all Sammy Watkins clones. It's what they do with Mahomes in this offense. <laughs> if anyone can put up 100 touchdowns in a season, it might be Patrick Mahomes. So, yes. you know, we'll see there. But no, yeah, I do think Hardman is the guy you want here. As you mentioned, a 72 yard touchdown overturned on a very iffy holding penalty on LaShawn McCoy, I might add. But the one concern we had was, you know, DeAnthony Thomas was suspended week one, comes back, pretty much doesn't even have a role. I mean, no. we know it's Watkins, D-Rob, and Hardman as these top three receivers. We've mentioned DeAnthony Thomas on this show more often than he's getting on the field. So well, that good with personnel, John. Again. Uh, LaShawn McCoy also suffered an ankle injury at the end of this one. If your roster is pretty deep in your fantasy format, in your fantasy league, Darwin Thompson might be an interesting one. Again, we want exposure to this offense. This past week, even in a positive game script game, and again, they only scored points in the second quarter. They scored all 28 points in the second quarter. Yeah. The Chiefs still can't get anything going on the, on the ground. 11 carries, 23 yards for LaShawn McCoy. Nine carries, eight yards for Damian Williams. If something is going to change, maybe Andy Reid believes it can be his playmaker who performed well in the preseason, and it might be Darwin Thompson. And Damian Williams was getting used more in the passing game than Sean McCoy anyhow. So that's why Darwin just seamlessly transitions in and just takes over Damian Williams' passing role. Let's close out this waiver segment with Debo Samuel, who was really fantastic um, against the Cincinnati Bengals. Debo Samuel has kind of emerged if there is a true wide receiver on the 49ers. Seven targets, five receptions, 87 yards, and a touchdown for the rookie in just the second game in the NFL. If there is a true wide receiver, there's only one option, and it's Debo Samuel. Their two games has led in routes, has led in snaps, both contests, um, while everyone else trickles in and out. Trent Taylor, their slot receiver, expected back soon. Jalen Hurd may be returning soon. But either way, it has clearly been Debo Samuel's wide receiver room. And Dante Pettis, 35 snaps, still... It hurts me to say, but probably Sorry. droppable yeah. this week. Yeah. Um, Debo Samuel is the receiver you want in this offense. And they've consistently, this goes back to the preseason, they've made an effort to get the ball in his hands no matter mm -hmm. no matter how they want to do it. I mean, he had two rush attempts yesterday as well. We're seeing him get kind of the Shanahan scheme treatment where, you know, whatever crazy plays he thinks up in his head, you know, Debo's the guy that's getting the ball. Guys, that's going to do it for us. Again, go and check out John Daigle's waiver-wired column up on Rotor World soon. Later in the week, I mean, injuries have been the talk of week one and week two. Thankfully, Ian Harditz up here with the injury dashboard. He'll be back on Wednesday slash Thursday's episode to break all those down as well. Go back and listen to Roundup, the Whip Around podcast, and Rotor World Live Sundays. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Talk to you all soon out there. Peace out. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's.